Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. JGB Sports Podcast. Episode 5. Uh, Maryland Eastern Shore at Coppin State is going to be our main review. Mm-hmm. Um, our first section is kind of things that came up. You actually gave me some homework last time. It's a good job I actually listened back because I'd kind of forgotten this one. Perhaps I need to keep a pen and paper. Um, you asked me how the Liberty Bell got cracked. Yeah, because like, the one, the fake one in uh-huh. Delaware uh-huh. didn't have it. No, it did not. It did not. All right. Go ahead, JJ. Tell us. Well, I researched it, but I suddenly realized there's no reason you can't read, though. So yeah. in the future, we're going to get you to do some research in as well, I think. So but... this, the, the first story, um, it first cracked by back in 1824 during the visit of the Revolutionary War hero, Marquis de Lafayette. Very nice on that French pronunciation there, yeah? Go on and tell us some I other... know him, Dad. I know you know that name. <laughs> okay, tell us the other story. It's kind cause... of a really famous name as it well. It is, yeah. The, uh, the next story um, is that another story holds that it fractured later in 1824 while tolling it to signal a fire. You know what it means by tolling? No. It just means ringing. That's another word yeah. for ringing. Because they would ring church bells when there's a fire. Mm-hmm. They'll go like, bang! Alright, uh, what about story three? Um, so story three is a really long one. One of the most popular legends claims that the bell cracked during the funeral of Chief Justice John Marshall in 1835, but newspaper accounts of the funeral do not mention such an incident. So. Whatever the truth is, it seems... The bell was certainly damaged in 1846 when Philadelphia's mayor requested that the bell be rung on George Washington's birthday. The attempts were made to repair existing fracture on the bell. For the occasion, the bell reportedly told loud and clear at first, but subsequently cracked beyond repair had to be taken out of service. Then, yeah. So, it would make sense because, like, they could have used it a lot and it could have, mm-hmm. like, cracked from overusage. Yep. So, so basically, yeah. when did it crack? We don't know. There's, like, three different yep. stories. Um, those were mainly taken from history.com. Um, in 2003, the Liberty Bell was relocated to the Liberty Bell Center in Independence National Historic Park, where millions of visitors view its famous crack each year. I think that's somewhere we need to go. Yeah. Um, I... Seemed, I thought I'd gone one time, but I, I know I've seen the center, but I don't remember if I've seen the bell. I think I might have seen it before 2003 in the old location. Now, that doesn't, of course, answer the question, why did it crack? Because that doesn't really accept it. Anyway, the bell was cast at London's Whitechapel Bell Foundry, and the bell arrived in Philadelphia in 1752. Because the metal was too brittle, it cracked during a test strike and had to be recast twice. On July 8, 1776, the bell was rung to celebrate the first public reading of the Declaration of Independence. A popular icon of the new nation and its independence, it wasn't called the Liberty Bell until the 1830s. That I didn't know. I couldn't find out what it was called before that. It, perhaps it didn't even have a name at that point. Perhaps it was just a bell. Yeah, my guess is that, like... So, 
the if I like were to figure it out, my first guess of how it broke would be over usage. Like uh, I used a fan. Like on well, the first it wasn't that. It was because it, it used cheap materials. Yeah. They, they mentioned and, there like, was it three... was cheap, so it broke. Cool. They mentioned three different so materials, like and it wasn't the best materials they used because yeah. they were trying to make it cheap. So hey, that's the way it goes. Now, other things we talked about. We talked about last time the uh, the Japanese pitcher, I think it is, who had two perfect games in a row. And I remember saying at one point that like um, nobody's going to catch Johnny Vandermeer with his two no hitters. Like no one's going to beat that record. Well, it's possible we might have something for that actually. Uh, College baseball hub Friday, April 29th. First a perfect game, and now a no-hitter. Luke Tupi has literally been unhittable in his last two outings. So he pitches for the St. Cloud State baseball team. Um, he's at it again. Luke Tupi throws his second straight no-no, leading the Huskies to a 10-0 victory over Minnesota Crookston. Hashtag Huskyland. And uh, Wayne Cavardi put, I literally wrote the other day how the Huskies threw two no-hitters in six days. Well, make it three in eight. That's absolutely crazy. I, I can't believe that the, somebody would be as good as that. Um, yeah, don't know when his third start is, but I want to watch it. It sounds like we can watch the network, possibly. So I might have to find out when that is. Um, you can look at the schedule. Normally they pitch like five, six days apart, so we might be able to figure out when he's going to go for it. Might have the first person that pitches three no-hitters in a row. As far yeah. as I know, nobody's done it. Um, but it was funny that we were talking about no-hitters, how difficult they were, oh, yeah. perfect games, and then... This guy threw one of each. <laughs> My guess. Oh, yeah. So we were listening to the Baseball History podcast in the we car. Yep. And it was talking about some person who's really fast. I forgot his name. Uh, they said he could... Uh, running? Um, no. In baseball. Like, they said he could turn off a light be and get into bed before the room was dark. Yeah, uh, running. I thought, but I it could sure have been... talking about fast pitching or fast running. But, cool like, he could have been just sitting in the bed and flipping the light switch off as well they also so. said he was out when he hit a double and he ran so quickly that it hit him like there's no way you could physically hit a ball to second base and then get hit by that same ball like the yeah. ball would go quicker so it's a little bit of myth and a little bit of legend but yeah cool yeah. Piper bells a I, cool story he like, was quick. i could still try and like try, i would want to try and actually do that dad but if it if i saw it, i would just jump over it so it wouldn't be an out uh-huh. And then just run straight home. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, they also said so he got home from someone bunting it. Uh, from first base. Yeah. Yes. Um, he was very quick. Like, they did time him. I think it said it was, did it say 12 seconds for three bases? For all, uh, for all four bases? That sounds too quick. Um, he was very, very quick, that's for sure. But he wasn't quite as quick as some of those stories go. But they used to like to exaggerate because then that would get the fans in because they were like, whoa, that guy's that quick. I want to come and see him. I want to see him in some of his matches. And so... they're like, come on. <laughs> this man's way slower than um, He wasn't slow. He wasn't slow, but he certainly wasn't as quick as some of the legends would have you believe either. So the two games were um, Northern State versus St. Cloud State on Thursday, 23rd of April. Um, it was actually a seven-inning um, affair. So just for clarification, it wasn't nine innings, so they were playing double-headers. Yeah. Uh, two hours and 25 minutes. And then the second yeah. one was the 29th of April. Um, this was against uh, Minnesota Crookston, as I yeah. said earlier. Uh, this one was two hours and one minute. <laughs> that was quick. And Jeez. that was seven innings as well. So, uh, yeah. I'll be excited to see. We don't exactly know when the next one is, but hey, that's good.
right, so this is going to be the uh, main part of the review then. So this was, like we said, it was Coppin State again. Uh, they were in town. They were a new venue. So, well, a new venue for us anyway. So we wanted to go see this one. All right, JJ, I did a little bit of research for us. So can you tell us uh, when they last met? Um... Copping state. See, I numbered your pages today as and well. Because last time you were like, I can't find it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put everything in order so you can see. So tell us about the Copping state. Okay. This, this is from the other team's perspective. Okay. I got this from their website, actually. That's why you so, can see the Copping state logo. Wait, what team did they? Maryland Eastern Shore. There you go, Maryland so Eastern Shore. So this is the last time they met there? This is the last time they met at Copping state. So they won two and they lost two. He did. He um, the, scores. the first one was 11 to 8. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that 12 is afterwards in parentheses? No. That means it went to extra innings. So oh. it went to 12 innings. Okay. And, um, the next score, the next one, they lost 11 to 2. They won 11 seven to 12. 12. They, mm -hmm. uh, they won 7 to 6 and they mm -hmm. lost 4 to 6. So out of that four games, the furthest game apart was only three runs. So yeah. it was kind of not surprising that this would probably going to end up being a close game because that's just how it worked. Now, I don't know if you have it on the bottom there as yes. well. They did actually you meet... Talk hmm? You're going to talk about why Marcus Brown nah, wears 42. Uh, 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 no, you're going to talk about that. Tell them about when they played at home. Okay, two weeks ago, the Hawks and Eagles split their series in Salisbury mm -hmm. with the shore taking game one in extra innings, followed by a doubleheader split, and then Coppin taking the Sunday matinee. Matinee. So that basically means, again, I think that was also, uh, so that was 2-2 two to two again. So when they played at Coppin, it was 2-2. Two to two. When they played over at the Hawks Stadium, it was 2-2. Two to two. So this was going to kind of be close. Um, it said the Hawks were 14-27 and 13-11 and in the conference. And they trailed the Eagles, who were 18 and 24 and 14 and 10 in the conference. So there was just a game going into this, um, going into this series. Um, and it said that the Hawks actually have their most wins as a team, conference wins as a team since 2015. Considering there's still like two weeks to go in a season, they're obviously having a pretty good season. Now, I didn't know much about the university, so I did take a quick look at it. Uh, the University of Maryland Eastern Shore has been known by a series of names reflective of its location, evolving role, and mission over a period spanning three centuries. It opened September 13, 1886. Maryland State College became the University of Maryland Eastern Shore on July 1st, 1970. Today it is one of 12 university systems of Maryland public institutions of higher education. In addition to 745 acres on its main campus in Princess Anne, UMES also operates a 385-acre research farm in southern Somerset County and the Paul S. Sabanus Coastal Ecology Center on eight acres in neighboring Worcester County. And uh, yeah, it talks about some of the different courses that they offer. Um, they did mention the fact that the series is going to take place at the Barkman Sports Complex, the third different field that the Eagles have called home this season. And they put out what the schedule was going to be. So that was another reason for going to this one. I was like, okay, they got the, I like to go and see different stadiums. So I was like, yeah, this is this is cool. Also, I knew that it was in Glen Burnie as well. So I was like, oh. Savage Burger. Go on, then tell us what the Savage Burger is. So it's a burger with eggs, um... Half pound burger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With egg. It was egg, jelly, bacon, Half jelly. Mm -hmm. cheese, um, mm -hmm. peanut butter. And peanut butter, yeah. The Savage Gentleman's uh, a wrestler that we've uh, seen many times. 
And uh, yeah, he's known for his peanut butter on eggs. And yeah, that went on the burger with all those other things that you said Butterfinger as well. Butterfinger Championship. <laughs> and um, it was actually really good. Yeah. It was really good. So I knew it was only uh, 10 minutes away from the stadium, but I also knew it was on the way to the stadium as well. So we didn't really have to go out of our way at all. Uh, we got fries with it as well, and you said you wanted the whole burger to yourself. I said, I think we can split it, and as it was, you were full, and I was full by the time we finished it, so. So are you going to talk about Marcus Brown wearing 42? Hey, 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 we're getting there, we're getting there. That was the only thing we'd given you hey. notes. I knew you were going to want to spoil different things as well. Yeah. Um, the Hawks haven't deviated much throughout the season, knowing what they excel at and how to win games in their own way. This is from their own webpage. Uh, small ball and solid starting. While no Hawk has won Player of the Week for hitting, Three different starters have won the MEAC Pitcher of the Week. Most recently, Cameron Bratton for his complete game shutout against Norfolk State, where he set a career high with eight strikeouts. And I actually looked at some of the key players on their team because uh, I wanted to see some of their batters as they were coming up. And as I was looking through, one of the names caught my eye, Marcus Brown, but more because of his uniform number. And I pointed it out to you at the game as well. And I think that's what you've been trying to tell me for the last five minutes. He wears number 42. He does wear number 42. So from an article by David Goatleap in the Daily Bruin in July 2017, uh, MLB retired the number in 1997 to uh, honor Jackie Robinson, obviously. Uh, ULC made a similar move, UCLA, sorry, made a similar move in 2014, retiring the number across all of its sports to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Robinson becoming a Bruin. But on college baseball fields outside of Westwoods, it's popular. Casey Clemens, the son of Roger Clemens, wore it during his three years for the University of Texas. When asked about his decision to wear it, he said he initially wanted his father's number 21, but he couldn't because the Longhorns had retired it. So he picked the number that almost all of baseball retired instead. So, yeah, I didn't know that. I thought that the phrase was number 42 was retired through all organized baseball. Uh, apparently it's just Major League Baseball. So college players, yeah. Minor league players. My, Little league. Minor league, I think, is still counted under that one. Because that's a different... So, because that's M-I-L-B... Um, as opposed to MLB, but it's kind of like the same kind of grouping. But I think this is NCAA, so that's slightly different. So I think in college, yeah, you Ooh, can wear it if you league. want to. Uh -huh. Little League. I don't think I ever saw anyone in Little League wear it, but I think you're allowed to. I think people just don't. Um, one person I saw in the article talks about the fact that it was basically a case of you just grab a jersey, and then at the end there was 42 left, so it was like, that's my size, so I guess I'm 42. So they, in some cases they didn't even get a choice, really. It was just a case of that was the only jersey that was left. That kind of definitely reminded me of Little League. Normally you line up by size. Yeah. And, and then they make sure the smallest person gets the smallest jersey. And sometimes by the end you get a jersey that's way too big for you. But it's like, hey, these are all we got. All right, JJ, do you want to tell us about Friday's game? We're reviewing Saturday's game. So... so uh, okay. Um... Yeah, I was going to get you to tell us about Jackie Robinson and twenty and 42, but hey, never mind. All right, tell us about the game then. Who won game one? Remember, it's only a one-game difference okay. right now. So... you got to uh, know how to read a box score. I don't think... Yeah. You've read a box score before. So, the Friday game and the Saturday game? Uh, just do Friday. It's Friday now. It's okay. Friday. So... Coppin State won 10 to 8. They did. Yeah, now, really? I actually looked this up online because I knew the game started at 3. Um, about 7.45, I was like, oh, I wonder who won this. And they were still and playing. And Maryland Eastern 
they were still playing at this point. And Coppin State were doing fine. They were winning pretty easily. It was, um, I think it was five to three at that point, something like that. And um, anyway, and then I looked back and it said, um, yeah, they, Maryland Decent Shore got five runs in the eight to take the lead. Okay, go ahead then. I gave you a chance. I was going to say that they got five in the eighth, and you were like, go on then. Keep going. Okay. So there was no runs in the first. Both of them got We already know the score up to the eighth. Just tell us what happened at the bottom of the eighth then. Uh, uh, and Steve got three red. They did. So they fell behind 8-7, but then they got three in the eighth to make it 10-8. And then Maryland Eastern Shore didn't get anything in the ninth, so that was the end of the game. But yeah, their games are particularly exciting. I am actually wondering, looking at this, it said the start time was three, and then the final time was 2.55. Perhaps I'm mixing up the times. Perhaps that wasn't the game that went on until 7.45. But I do remember checking the scores at one point, and I was like, man, do they ever have a game that's boring? Like, they're always having games where they're up, then they're down, and then they're up again, then they're down again. Um, it's an exciting team to watch for sure. Uh, 13 hits for Coppin State, 11 hits for Maryland Eastern Shore. Uh, game was around three hours, and uh, the weather's were 60 degrees. And I actually put some of the other little scoring features on there, I think, as well. But hey, um, so the Saturday game then, JJ. Okay. Do you want to so, talk about what we did first before we got to the Coppin State? Uh, we obviously talked about the burger that we had. Uh, we went to Where did we a go? farm. We went to, I think it's called Kinder Park, Farm Park. Yeah. Because you didn't actually know what Kinder yeah, was at that tractor. time. Yeah, there was a tractor. There was a big tractor. There was a tractor there, yeah. And it was like the easiest disc golf course ever. I, I don't think that's true. And Dad made it so his disc just went straight and never... And never try to make it go left or right. Um, I had one of my best games ever. I, I was throwing it like a dart, which is really helpful, particularly with there being so many trees there. Um, we let, we went to that playground, like you said. Um, we kind of had a little walk. We saw some animals, some sheep, as you said. Jokingly. Yeah, no sheepy sheep. Yeah, uh, some goats. Okay. And um, yeah, we had dinner, and then we head up there, and we kind of we timed it again perfectly. We got there, I think, literally about five ten minutes before it started. Uh, we sat on the first base side because we saw that's where Coffin State was, and um, I'm gonna go onto the field for the national anthem. Um, coach said, Coach came out because Coach saw you and he called you over and you gave him a fist bump again. He said, Yeah, if you'd been there a little bit earlier, you could have been out for the national anthem. So hey, um, sorry, <laughs> we had to eat dinner before we got there. Um, I'd heard that because I did ask actually. I asked the Twitter feed. I was like, Do they have concession stands? And they said, no, they don't. So I knew we had to eat before we got there. or Because I know you didn't like your snack lunch the other week too much. So I was like, that. so that was perfect anyway. Because then I gave us the opportunity to get the Savage Burger. So. Sometimes Dad calls lunch dinner. In England, I, I would go with breakfast, dinner, and then tea. So what? I, you miss I still lunch, get confused. you have tea? We don't use the word lunch. Well, some people say lunch, but some people say dinner as well. You, so you, you miss lunch, you play dinner at that time. And then you have tea for your last meal. Uh huh. But how, Dad? It's confusing, isn't it? That's for sure. So you get a cup of tea for your drink. Mm hmm. Well, that's the other confusing thing. There's the drink tea, and there's also the, the meal tea as well. So and then Dad's like, cup of tea. A cup of, yeah. A brew. A brew. So, yeah, yeah we got the. Um, you got the score here, JJ, so I don't know if this... Because you don't take notes anymore, because you say I can just print it out, so... Um, so in the first... Um, inning, Coffin State got one, 
and in the third, in the top of the third, um, Melon Yusin Shore got three, mm -hmm. and then no runs until the bottom of the sixth. Got so at that point then, um, Maryland Beeson Shaw are winning by two, and this is going into the last inning because this is a double header, so there's only seven uh, innings in this game. Then Coppin State was losing two to three then. Yep. And then they got one person on base and then and then one of them hit a home run, I forgot who. That was in the sixth. I think that was Jordan that hit the home run, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, and then, uh, Jordan Hamburg homeward to right field. And yeah, they hit a really far um one and then they both managed to get in somehow. Yeah, that was in the seventh inning. They also and then bought... everyone was chasing him like huh. um he was a cat and they were a dog. They or were a, a bunch of cats trying to chase a mouse. Uh huh. They were obviously very happy about it. I was delighted because I I was beginning to think we were a bit of a jinx and I was like oh my gosh I can't stand it if we concede three games and they've lost all three games. So yeah, they came back. I think it was Welly that got the uh, the winning uh, hey. RBI. Wait, why is he named after a rain boot, Dad? Um, that's his name, Wellington Ballsley. I hope that's how you pronounce his name. But I heard some of the players calling him Welly as well. See, I would say I would shorten Wellington to Welly as well. So, I think that's uh, I think that's perfectly acceptable. So he's named after a rain boot, kind of. Uh, I guess so. It's also a place I don't know if you know. It's in New Zealand as well. It's the capital of New Zealand, I believe. So I'm not sure how Wellington With got his name. Sheeps? <laughs> with a bunch of sheep, sure. Now, you went straight to the result. You sure. kind of missed out everything that happened in between, which I was like, as soon as I give you that scorecard, I know that's what you're going to do. And um, this was a quick game as well. Having seen some of those games go real long, this was under two hours. So that was good because we did have a wrestling event to get to, and I wanted to take you to um, a Wizard of Oz park as well that I'd seen that was awesome. in um, Upper um, Marlborough. If you want to listen to that wrestling, go to... My other podcast. Yeah, well, we were sub we were we were subbing information as he wasn't available, but it is on the MGB yeah. Wrestling podcast for sure. Yeah. Now you so there's nothing else you want to talk about in this game then. You just went straight to the finish. <laughs> like yeah, I know you didn't take notes, but you want so I gotta fill in some gaps then? I went to get the home run and I had to return it. You did. Alright, well gaps. I'm gonna fill in some gaps then. So during the first two innings then, there was literally no foul balls at all. Yeah. And you were getting frustrated. And then in the third... Oh, yeah. and then in the I third, was going to one of the trash cans, and then they hit a foul ball when I was walking back and I didn't see it. And also, in one of the innings, they hit a foul ball, it hit the light, shattered over the glass, and went on top of the dugout. I will never forget that hit. Yeah. I can, if you ask me now, like visualize like, that it. That would take like a thousand hits. I can just see to it. I can see it. Like I can see it hit the light and it made a big sound. And then it was like a small delay. There was the smashing of the glass and then like it came down like rain. And like you yeah. said, Landon, it was really cool to look yeah, at. Yeah, like it would take like way more. Like it would take a like a million hits just to do that. Uh, you, yeah, to, the odds of that happening again would be ridiculous. Um, I did ask if you, you had one... to get like right in front of it in order to do that. Uh huh. Even then, you might still not be able to do that. Mm hmm. I asked you at one point because you were kind of on the there was a soccer field next to it and then the the bullpen was kind of there was like a sand patch yeah. and I, I had to ask I was you I was like them. I was like you need to move out the way a little bit because they're starting to warm up now so you did you watched the side you watched them warm up and then we saw Jordan's home run and 
you're like, oh, it's near the Coppin sign, right? I was like, yeah, it's near the Coppin sign. I thought except, it was a big one. Except you went to the one in left field to begin with, and then you went to the big sign, and you didn't see it. So you came all the way back again. But you found a foul ball at that point, I think, anyway, or a practice ball or something. Yeah, I was one of the practice balls. So we went back out together, and we got Jordan's home run ball, and I said, you got to give this one to Coach, because this is a game ball. And uh, you did. You gave it back to them so they could carry on. And then we sat and watched the last two, in, um, the last inning together. And um, yeah, it was really exciting. It was, um, it was. I would say it was back and forth. I kind of feel a little sorry for the, for the pitcher actually, for Maryland Easton Shaw. He actually pitched a complete game, um, but he took the loss. So he went six point one innings, uh, gave up eleven hits, four earned runs, uh, four strikeouts. Not one person walked though. So that's that's pretty good control actually. Um, and you said he was really quick as well. And I said, well, that just means, though, it's easier to hit it further. Yeah, that, like, that one was pitching at the end, uh-huh. like, that is, like, really quick. Uh-huh. It, he pitched like, the whole game, unless you talk about the Coppin State person. No. Oh, okay. Maryland Eastern Shore. Okay. Yeah, he kept his speed up for the for the whole game. He pitched 85 pitches. Um, didn't pitch a bad game. My Coppin State game. I, I'm today. I, got, I ordered a couple of Coppin State t-shirts, and it said two-day delivery, and I was like, they'll probably be here by Saturday. Wait, I forgot. And then I when we came, and then when we came home, uh, they were there on a Saturday. So, yeah, we got yellow Coppin State shirts, so next time we go. And I need to try and steal no, that. No, the baseball cap is mine. On this one, you've stolen enough of my caps. I only have, like, one cap right now because you've stolen pretty much all of them. All right, we had a technical problem. Uh, we hadn't realized that it stopped recording, so, and unfortunately we were doing stuff afterwards after we realized, so there's like a two-day gap here. I'm not quite sure how perfect it was, JJ. I think we talked about everything in the game. I know you were just talking at the end there about the other picture, so I think that's it. I think we're into the next segment. So the next 10 minutes we're going to record is the 10 minutes we previously recorded or thought we'd recorded. So hopefully we can try and do a better job than we did last time. Now we've already practiced, I guess, right? So I think the thing I asked you was then, so we saw game one. We couldn't stay for game two because we had a, a wrestling event down in Waldorf, Maryland. So go ahead. Tell us what happened in game two. Okay. So in game two, Maryland's won five to three. Maryland? Eastern Shore. Oh, okay. Any any breakdown of that match at all? Uh, no. <laughs> Nothing at all. Really? Yeah. Okay. Right. Said there was three runs scored by Maryland Eastern Shore in the seventh. Oh, Coppin State actually was leading three to zero after six innings, and then yeah, they came back, tied it up three three, and this was only supposed to be seven innings, so they actually went into. Uh, I was going to say overtime. They went into extra innings for this one. Um, the game was nearly three hours in the end, so we would not have made it in time. This actually, this was still going on when we were actually at the wrestling, because I looked and I was like, oh my gosh, this is still going on. So it was three hours for a, what should have been a seven-inning game, but just because of the uh, extra runs there as well. Um, there was a homer by day that I saw in the third inning. Um, I thought there was one more home run that I saw. Oh, how? Uh, home into left field. Uh, for Maryland Eastern Shores um, for the win for this one. So, yeah, they managed to get one back. Um, also, what about the Sunday game as well? Okay, for the Sunday game. Coppin went 4-2 to two uh-huh. against Maryland Eastern Shores. Oh. And in the first inning, Jordan Hamburg did, got a home run to center field. Uh-huh. And 
And that's the only home runs in the whole thing. Yeah, it was a low-scoring one, 4-2. Uh, um, Coppin State did get 2 in the 8th. And the thing I noticed about this one was, um, we wanted to go to this game, but it was like midday, and it looked like it was going to rain, and they were like, yeah, we're not going for that. And actually, it says on here they start at 9 a.m. I didn't see any tweets anywhere that mentioned the fact that they were starting early, so we could have actually gone to this one. And um, I did actually see a tweet, though, for today's game. We're now recording on Wednesday, and we're originally recording on Monday. Um, today's game actually got cancelled, but I did see the tweet for that one, so I don't know. Perhaps I just missed it. Like, I don't see everything that happens on Twitter. Um, I should have mentioned the winner, though, for the uh, pitchers. Uh, the winning pitcher was uh, rough, and um, this was the one where actually Coppin State set a record. It was 18 strikeouts. So uh, Jordan Hamburg pitched six innings, uh, 12 strikeouts. Wow. And uh, Rashad came in and three innings and six strikeouts. Uh, no hits as well at all. So yeah, particularly imp a particularly impressive win. And uh, yeah, we could have got to see that possibly, but hey, that's the way it goes. So the reason we're doing those um, catching up on the rest of the series is you like to do your Coppin State updates. So it made sense just to continue after we've done the other one. Um, I normally pick a player of the week. Um, I didn't have a player of the week um, this time. Last time I talked about Marcus Castillo. Um, he was a senior, and I think I might have given the game away. I think I actually mentioned how many other seniors there were. I was curious to see how many of the players who we're seeing JJ are going to be leaving. And actually, besides Marcus, it's just two other people. So most of the players that we've been seeing we should be returning next year. Um, the other person who's leaving, uh, Justin Oakley, is going to leave. Uh, let's see what it says. Made 10 starts in 11 games in 2020 as a junior. He appeared in an, as an outfielder and primarily the leadoff man in the lineup. Opened the entire season with a leadoff singer at the single at the Citadel. Doubled and scored a run in game two and closed the series with a homer, two RBIs and two runs scored. Back-to-back -back two hit outings at Navy and Richmond with a double in both games. Tripled scored and drove in a run at Lehigh and drove in another at UMBC, which I told you was where you went to see your Globetrotters a few weeks back. So yeah. I don't even know where that is. And the other person is a pitcher, Matt Perkins. Uh, he started off the season mainly pitching one or two innings at a time. Uh, so I think he was probably probably one of their relief pitchers. And then actually the Delaware State game, the Sunday game that we didn't go to, we were there on a Saturday. Uh, he pitched six innings, gave up six hits, uh, but only one earned run. So that was a good performance. And then he actually um, pitched against Maryland Eastern Shore. Um, in the, I think it was the second game. I think it was the Saturday game. Uh, three innings uh, and two runs. And also, I did see as well, as we had a little bit more time, um, we originally prepared, I originally prepared this Sunday, JJ, so we could record on Monday. Yeah. Um, they always announce the players of the week on Monday, so I would have missed yeah. this before. Uh, but I got it now, so we can, this wasn't in the original one we recorded, so this is probably better, actually. For the second time in the season, Coppin State's Jordan Hamburg has been named the Collegiate Baseball news player, Newspaper National Player of the Week. Okay. There's 13 players in total from the nation, and he was one of them. Uh, it said Hamburg did it all for Coppin State last week. Offensively, he belted two home runs. You got one of those. You uh, you went and got the ball and returned it. Two doubles, scored three runs, had five RBIs with seven walks and a pair of stolen bases. And on the mound, he struck out 12 batters in six innings of work during a 4-2 win. Uh, also, it said on here, Coppin State's Jordan Hamburg was named MEAC Baseball Player of the Week. Not surprisingly, if you win a national award, you're probably going to win the uh, the league award as well. Uh, while teammate Rashad Ruff and Pitcher of the Week honors, it was announced by the league office on Monday afternoon. This is the third time Hamburg has been named Player of the Week, where Ruff is receiving his first collegiate weekly award. Uh, Jordan, pitching-wise, is 5-1, and one, while leading the league in earned run average, 3.52, strikeout, 73, opposing batting average, 232, and strikeouts per nine inning. 12.3. Woof! 
That's more than a strikeout per inning. Uh, he says he ranks top 40 nationally, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, Hamburg ranks second in wins and fewest runs allowed and fewest hits allowed as well. Uh, Richard Ruff made three appearances last week and picked up a pair of victories in the four-game series against Maryland Eastern Shore. In six total innings, he allowed just two runs on two hits while striking out 11. Following a midweek outing against the Mount, Ruff struck out four over 2.2 innings in the season opener against the Hawks. And he came back two days later, retiring all nine batters he faced over the final three innings, which we just mentioned. Uh, sophomore from Moreno Valley, California, Ruff is three and four on the season, striking out 45 batters in 34 innings. So that's, once again, more uh, strikeouts than uh, innings pitched. And uh, his current ERA is 6.35. Orioles. Now, Orioles are actually playing the Red Sox. So as we were recording a bit early, this is kind of almost going to be the same thing, JJ. So this was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. So I think you have the result. So do you want to tell us Friday's result first? Mm-hmm. So Friday results were three. The one Boston. They scored three runs in the first inning. Mm -hmm. I mean in the second and then the Orioles got one in the last inning, which was the ninth. So Red Sox actually won this one. And we actually watched this game together. We watched the highlights together. I actually forgot Red Sox won. I was thinking, all right, I'm waiting for the Orioles to come back. And I was like, oh, they actually won. So, yeah, I totally forgot about this. I'm pretty sure the three sh three runs was a three-run shot by uh, J.D. Martinez. I'm pretty sure that was the three runs for this one. All right, what about Saturday's game then? Oh, actually, before we get to that, the pitcher was actually making his debut for the Orioles. Uh, Kyle Bradish, six innings, two earned runs, five hits, uh, one walk, and two strikeouts. Uh, Nathan Ruiz, he's got quiet confidence. He just seemed like the moment wasn't too big for him. It wasn't enough to beat the Red Sox, but Kyle Bradish's debut sure gave the Orioles a lot to dream on. Yeah, for somebody who's lost some uh, pitching to bring in somebody like that for his debut I thought he was uh, particularly um, I thought it was particularly impressive all right JJ what about game two okay the game two Boston lost one to two mm-hmm we were listening to this on the way back actually after the wrestling um, the Red Sox were winning uh, you actually fell asleep at this point Red Sox were winning one to zero I only see zeros on here dad you do because it went to 10 innings, so you don't get to see the first inning. So Red Sox got one in the first, which didn't make it onto the card because it was they went into extras. And um, yeah, it was looking good until the bottom of the eighth when they got one back. And then I stopped listening. And then in the morning, I saw they lost in extra innings. I was like, ugh, two to one. So yeah, Orioles took this one two to one. And the Sunday game, we have a partial result for this one. So, because I was actually getting, like I said, I was getting this ready on the Sunday. We were going to go to this because it was my birthday, and then the weather looked crummy, so we're like, yeah, we're not going. It was something we talked about earlier, and we're like, yeah, no, it's not happening. So, they, so the Orioles won 4-1. to one. They were leading 4-1 to one in the 6th. There was only was, 6 innings, though. No, there wasn't. It's just that this wasn't the final result. Then they had about a 2.5-hour rain delay. Um, at the end of the seventh, they were leading nine to one, and I think the final score was nine to five. So yeah, Orioles won the series. Um, particularly disappointing for the Red Sox, but hey, that's the that's the way it goes. So I don't have anything to do for the Red Sox this week, JJ. Except well now it's Wednesday. They did actually get they had Monday off. They did play on Tuesday. They did win last night against the Angels, and they actually shut out the Angels. So the Angels seem to be struggling against AL East teams. If you remember, the um, Orioles beat them in a series, yeah. and now the Red Sox uh, shut them out. Yeah. I heard a really weird stat for that game as well. The Oriole, uh, sorry, The Angels have the most runs in MLB right now, but they've also been shut out three of the last four games. 
So they've had three games in the last four when they haven't had any runs at all, but they still have the most runs in baseball. Just so, how, though? That's kind of great. Well, they had a lot of runs early in the season. All right, this week in baseball, uh, MLB.com, I saw Dylan Svoboda talked about this one. Uh, local one for us, JJ, University of Maryland's left-handed pitcher, Ryan Ramsey, took the mound with a 13-0 lead in the ninth inning Friday, perfect through eight. Northwestern's Tony Livermore grounded out sharply to third base Nick LaRusso for the final out for a perfect game. Ramsey threw his arms into the air as he embraced the catcher, and teammates rushed out from the third base dugouts to congratulate their star hurler. Uh, Ramsey struck out 10 and threw 118 pitches. So we mentioned the other week, like 100's kind of like a, a key number for baseball. So he went a little further than that 118. And while I was looking this up, it said that um, Dick Wright's in 1959 threw the last perfect game for the Maryland. And as I was looking for the records, actually, it was the first ever uh, perfect game in college, or since records were kept anyway. And if you want to come and look at the players, I actually took it, I actually grabbed a little picture here. You can see the player from 1959, and you can see the player from 2022. Um, and the interesting thing for me is they're like holding something. It looks like a certificate. Yeah, so it does. Like, so I don't know. You can't really zoom in on it. It's kind of difficult to see exactly. You can clearly see their name on it, and you can see some writing, but you can't see what it says. So I don't know if that's a collegiate thing. Like, if you get a home run, like, they're holding the ball, which I assume is the ball from the final strikeout or from the final out or whatever. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious to know what that is. I haven't managed to figure that one out. Um, I did see a report only 33 pitchers have thrown a perfect game in NCAA history before Friday's matchup. But College Baseball Hub mentioned the fact it was the 36th perfect game in Division One history. So I actually sent them a quick tweet and I said, hey, I saw CBS report it was 34. I saw somebody else report it was 34. Uh, you reported 36. What is it? Uh, and they were actually good enough to respond to us. They actually mentioned there were 33 entering the season, but they failed to recognize the two perfect games thrown last week by Shamar Page of Grambling State and Jake Noviella of Fairfield. Uh, so actually, Ryan Ramsey is the 36th. Now, I might not mean anything to you, JJ, but I went up and I just looked up the two ones. The Grambling State one didn't mean anything particularly for me. Uh, they won actually 16-0 to in seven innings. Like, well, that was a total wipeout. Now, the Fairfield game was interesting to me because I was like, oh, that's the Peacocks. I think St. Peter's is the Peacocks. I was like, we talked about that last week. Remember we talked about the Delaware State game that we went to that's three hours and one minute, and I mentioned there was a game that was 18-17 to that was also three hours and one minute? Their very next game, they had a perfect game. Isn't that crazy? One game, 18-17, to 17, so the crowd are like, woo, lots of runs, this is really cool. And then the next game, perfect game. I thought that was crazy. Um, I didn't know Fairfield at all. And when it came up, I was like, I know who Fairfield is. I know exactly who is. Um, the perfect game only lasted one hour and 46 minutes. So that was uh, much quicker. Now, it was difficult to find anything about the other pitcher, Dick Wrights. But I managed to find a little bit, JJ. So you got a little bit of reading. This is from UM Terps. Uh, this was in 2005. So what can you tell us about Dick Wrights? Dick Wrights has donated the ball from his April 10th night. 1959 performance back to the University of Maryland. Head coach Terry Rupp was on hand to receive the ball from Wright, and it will be displayed in a trophy case in Comcast Center. That's where the basketball team plays. Okay. That's kind of like the big, big stadium in the middle of the of campus. I thought that in the long run, the students and the people who work at the university might get some enjoyment out of the ball it's not something that's happens very often right said 
of donating the ball to his alma mater. You know what an alma mater is? No. I left that in because I wasn't sure. It's your old school that you went to. I, I'm uh, guessing it's Latin. I don't know why they use it, but I was, I was kind of curious. In April of 1959, Wright used pinpoint control and some help from his defense to keep John Hopkins off the base paths on and the scoreboard in 10-0 Maryland victory. I really didn't think much about it until the fifth inning when I realized that things were going well. I can't recall any ball being hit that hard that day. Fortunately, I had good control that game and I got and got pretty lucky. Alright, now the thing that interests me in that one was he had no idea he was even on for a perfect game and he was kind of modest. He's like, yeah, I had pretty good control that game. I got pretty lucky. Like, I think, and he said he didn't have a ball that was hit hard. Um, I thought he was being pretty modest, but anyway, that was, um, that was, the, I like the fact that the first perfect game and now the last current perfect game, both from University of Maryland. So I thought that was kind of a nice way to uh, wrap that up as well. Um, also, we had the first, um, no hitter in the major leagues this week as well. Uh, Jason Stark report, reported Friday, April 29th. It's 159 pitch, five pitcher no hitter for the Mets. Most pitchers ever thrown in a nine inning no hitter. And the other thing about this was there's never been a, a no hitter before with five pitchers as well. So that was kind of a, a little bit strange for that one as well. Uh, Mets won 3-0 and Mets are currently top of the NL East. The pitchers were McGill who pitched five, Smith 1.1, Rodriguez 1.0, Lugo 0.2 and Diaz who pitched one inning at the end there and the last stat that I got JJ and this one's crazy this was um, on May 1st at Ben Joyce 08 brought the heat today hitting 105 on the radar and um, Ben Joyce is a pitcher for the University of Tennessee there is a t-shirt of him uh, with 104 miles an hour and I think he's called Mr. 104 as well and um, the fastest pitch ever made is 105.9 by one of the Yankees players Aroldis Chapman this guy is only in college 105.5 that's crazy. I think I saw on one of the pitchers, like his changeup's like 95 or something. It's like, whoa, that's ridiculous. They didn't actually get the video confirmation it was 105. It was the people who held the radar said it was 105. They have confirmation 104, so I don't see any reason he wouldn't have done. The video they showed showed the scoreboard flashing up 103. Um, I watched an interview about him. Really cool guy. Uh, yeah, he had, um, he had a serious injury. He had something called Tommy John surgery, which a lot of pitchers have when they blow their arms out. Um, he's already had that, but because somebody said, I thought that, I was talking to someone about it at work, and they were like, I thought that kind of slowed your pitches down. I was like, man, can you imagine how good he would have been if he hadn't have had Tommy John surgery on? If, it, if this has slowed him down, then he's throwing 105. So I think that's somebody I'd like to see at some point as well. I have a feeling that at some point, if you're throwing 105, you're going to make a major league team, um, whether it's a reliever or as a starter. But I thought that was something that was interesting as well. And last one, JJ, that I saw between actually Tuesday and Wednesday, one of the independent leagues in this area, we have a team, the South Maryland Crabs, who actually play in Waldorf as well, like where the wrestling was. One of the teams in their league, it was the first time a female had played on a men's team in, I, wanna, I don't want to say organized baseball, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but she plays for the Staten Island team as well. So I know we always like to talk about firsts, and we've talked about a few on a few of the other shows, um, but that was one. So we might be able to see her play possibly if we're going to see the South Maryland Blue Crabs at some point in the future as well. Um, I think that's it, JJ. Is there any other sports you wanted to talk about? Do you want to talk about Manchester City in the Champions League? No. Or no. Liverpool in the Champions League? No. Okay. No. Uh, Ricky Wysocki won the disc golf this weekend. <laughs> Woo! 
Thank you.